I will never forget a number of years ago, an early evening that I topped the hill where I lived in O'Fallon, Missouri, and there were police cars in my driveway with lights flashing, several police cars. It certainly caught my attention. I was a sophomore in high school at the time. Kind of a scary, alarming sight to see. I didn't know why they were there. Come to find out, our house had been broken into that day. Several things had been stolen, including a few of my dad's guns. The crazy thing was, the next day, as I came home, at the same time, it was the same scenario. The police cars were there again. Lights flashing. Come to find out, the fellow who had broke in the day before, he had broken in a second day. He'd come back two days in a row. I suppose he saw things the first day that he couldn't get to, so he decided to come back the second day and get more for himself. If only we had known what he was up to. If we'd only known that he was coming, we could have been ready. But that's how thieves operate, isn't it? They come at a time that you least expect it. They, they come when you are unprepared. Jesus, in Luke chapter 12, used that kind of an analogy, the analogy of a thief who comes unexpectedly to make a point about his own return. Before I get to the text there in Luke 12, I simply want to take a few moments this morning and read to you some of the verses that have to do with the second coming of Jesus. I want you to understand that Jesus talked about this subject a lot as he was here upon this earth. He warned us that he would be coming back a second time. He did not want us to be unprepared. He didn't want us to be uninformed. Hear what he had to say. I'll read to you all of these verses from the New International Version. These verses are Jesus himself talking. He says this, If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. Now, I want you to note the language in this passage. It's very certain that he's coming. He says, when I come, this is how it's going to be. I'm going to come with my holy angels, and there will be judgment. There's no if, ands, or buts about it. He says, I'm coming. You can count on it. Matthew 16, 27, for the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels, and then he will reward each person according to what he has done. Matthew 25, verses 31 and 32, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his throne in heavenly glory. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate the people from one another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. Matthew chapter 26. I might mention to you, Jesus is speaking to the high priest. They're having conversation with one another. This is the trial that Jesus was in before the high priest. The Sanhedrin council is there. They are listening to this conversation. And in this conversation, the high priest says, Are you the Son of God? And this is Jesus' answer, verse 64. He says, Yes, it is as you say. But I say to all of you, in the future, you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven. 
Luke 21, verse 27, carries on with this same theme. At that time, they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. It is a theme that Jesus speaks about often. But not only does Jesus speak about His second coming, the other New Testament writers write about it as well. In Acts chapter 1, the disciples are there on that hill out in Galilee, and, and they have just witnessed the ascension of Jesus into heaven. And as you might imagine, their eyes are upward, their mouths are open, they are aghast at what they, what they have just witnessed, and an angel appears to them. This is what the angel says. Men of Galilee, why do you stand here looking into the sky? The same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way that you have seen him go into heaven. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 2 says, For you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. Just a few verses prior to that, chapter 4 of 1 Thessalonians, verse 16. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Here's another verse from Hebrews chapter 9, verse 28. It says this, So Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many people, and He will a appear a second time. Not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for Him. There, the verses could go on and on and on. Jesus did not want us to be caught unaware and unprepared for His second coming. So let me share with you, from Luke chapter 12, Jesus is speaking in this chapter. He has a message to you and I about His second coming. And this is what He says. First of all, be watchful. Be watchful until He comes. The New American Standard, verse 35 of Luke chapter 12 says, Be dressed in readiness and keep your lamps lit. How about that phrase, be dressed in readiness? What, what's that getting at? It literally means this, gird your loins. In Jesus' day, the men would wear long flowing robes down to their feet. And, and if they tried to run or work, it would be easy for them to get their, their legs tangled up with their robes. And so Jesus was saying, or what was going on in that day, if they were going to gird their loins, they would reach down, they would pick the bottom of their robe up, and they would bring it up, and they would tuck it into their belt. And so it would look like a big diaper that they were wearing, but at least they were ready for work, they were ready to run, they were ready to play. Whatever it is that, that was before them, they had girded their loins, and they were ready. And Jesus uses this terminology in reference to his second coming. He says, be dressed in readiness. It's a word, too, that, that denotes continuous action. This word, be. Be dressed for readiness. It's not a one-time thing where you are ready today and then tomorrow you are not ready. Rather, it's a continuous action. Every day, he is saying, be dressed in readiness. Have your loins girded every day so that you can be ready for Jesus' return. Then he says, keep your lamps lit. 
Mark Moore writes this about the lamps. He says, these lamps were small dishes which could be held in the palm of your hand. You would simply fill the dish with oil and lay a wick in a groove made for the purpose. These little lamps were quite portable, but you had to take care to keep the wick trimmed and the bowl filled with oil. In other words, it was something that you would want to keep on top of. You could not be like the five foolish virgins in Matthew chapter 25 who let their lamps run low on oil and they have no excess oil to pour into the little dish. And so what did they do? They turned to the, to the other maidens and they're begging them for oil. And, and those maidens are saying, no, we don't have enough for all of us. You've got to take care of yourself in this matter. And so those five foolish virgins, they turned and they went to try to buy some excess oil, and it was while they were gone that the master returned home. And they were unprepared. Jesus is telling us to keep our lamps burning and to gird your loins up. In essence, he is saying, be prepared always, stay watchful, for I am going to come back. I've noticed as our kids have grown up and they're no longer at home, Cindy and I are empty nesters, I've noticed something. When we get word from them that they are going to return home and be with us for a visit, we get excited. Cindy and I, we get excited and, and we're, we're wondering what time are they going to be back and, and we try to figure out exactly what time they're going to pull in the driveway and as they are getting close our eyes are never very far away from that driveway. We're watching. We're waiting. We're expecting them to pull into that driveway. We're, we're wanting our son, we're wanting our daughter to return home. And when they pull in that driveway, we are ready to run out the door and meet them and embrace them and welcome them home. Now, amidst our watching, we are continuing to do the things around the house that need done. We're cooking, or maybe I should say Cindy's cooking. (laughs) Maybe I'm grilling. The table is being set. The floors are being swept. The beds have been made. The stacks of papers have been put away. You have stacks of papers at your house. We do. We have stacks, and when somebody's coming home, when one of the kids are coming home, or maybe we're having company in, the stacks of paper, they're put in a drawer, they're put in the closet, they're out of sight. The house is being made ready. I may be in the garage working, I may be out in the yard mowing, Cindy's doing her thing, I'm doing my thing, but both of us at the same time have our eyes not very far from where that driveway meets the road and we are watching for the return of our child. And that's especially true if they've been gone for a long time and they're coming back to visit us. When that car pulls into the driveway, we almost race one another out there to meet our child and to hug them and to love on them, to welcome them home. We are dressed in readiness and our lamps are lit. We are anxiously awaiting the return home of our kid. I'm wondering, do we have that kind of anticipation 
for Jesus' return. I mean, think about it. Are we looking for His return in that way? We should be, because the Scripture teaches us when He does return, it is going to be party time for the Christian. Verse 36 says, Be like men who are waiting for their master when he returns from the wedding feast so that they may immediately go and open the door to him when he comes and knocks. Verse 37 of that chapter, Blessed are those slaves whom the master will find on the alert when he comes. You know, there's a lot of terminology in the New Testament about us needing to be on the alert. Matthew chapter 24, 42 to 44 says this, Therefore be on the alert, for you do not know which day your Lord is coming, but be sure of this, that if the head of the house had known at what time of the night the thief was coming, he would have been on the alert and would not have allowed his house to be broken into. For this reason you also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour when you do not think that He will. Let me read to you Matthew chapter 25 and verse 13. It simply says this, Be on the alert then, for you do not know the day nor the hour. Mark chapter 13, verse 35 says, Therefore be on the alert for you do not know when the master of the house is coming, whether in the evening, at midnight, or when the rooster crows, or in the morning. Verse 37, what I say to you, I say to all, be on the alert. Let me read to you Revelation chapter 3 and verse 3. Jesus is talking to the church at Sardis. He says, so remember what you have received and heard and keep it and repent. Therefore, if you do not wake up. That's, that's the same phrase in the, in the original language. If you are not alert, he says, if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief and you will not know at what hour I will come to you. Revelation chapter 16, verse 15. Behold, I am coming like a thief. This, I, I told you, this is a terminology that is used throughout the New Testament. Behold, I am coming like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake. Blessed is the one who stays alert. That's what that phrase means. And keeps his clothes so that he will not walk about naked and men will not see his shame. Our Lord wants us to be watchful. He wants us to be awake. He wants us to be alert to His coming. We are not to fall asleep. We are not to be caught unprepared. We are to be ready and we are to be anticipating His return. I was thinking about this just this last week as this sermon was being prepared. The longer I'm here on this earth, the more I'm ready for the new world to come. I mean, think about what all is going on here on this earth. The, the loss of life, the loss of loved ones that we have to endure. And the older we get, the more of that we are acquainted with. The sickness, the heartaches, the depravity of this world, the shootings. 
We see it on the news constantly. One of the the most recent one at Fort Hood uh, just a couple of weeks ago. We are seeing those kinds of things all around us. And I'm thinking, this world is going down, down fast. And if we would get a glimpse of what heaven is like, it would cause us to long for heaven more. I'm thinking this is why John closed his book of Revelation with these words, Come, Lord Jesus, come quickly. You remember John, as he was, as he was having this vision of, of, of heaven, he's able to get a glimpse of what that new world is like. And he's seen that it is so much better up there than what it is here. What he's experiencing here, the heartaches and the depravity of this world, all of that's going to be gone up there. It's going to be missing. And he sees that that world is better than this world. And so he says, Lord Jesus, come quickly. That world is going to be what God intended for this world to be in its perfect state. So we should anticipate that world. And we should pray as Jesus taught us to pray, Lord, may thy kingdom come. Let me give to you a second teaching that Jesus had in Luke chapter 12. He says, be faithful in your service until he comes. Verse 35, we read it earlier. I want to read it to you again, this time from the New International Version. It says, be dressed, ready for service, and keep your lamps burning. Again, it's this idea that as we wait for his return, we are not to be just sitting idle. And and that was a problem in the New Testament days. As Jesus had ascended into heaven and Christians, they were thinking that Jesus' return was going to be soon. And so they just sit by idly waiting for his return. And they were waiting. And waiting some more. And and they weren't working. and, And therefore, over a period of time, they were becoming a liability to the church. That's not what Jesus had in mind. As he is telling us to wait expectantly for his return, it's to be with a busyness of serving him. I mentioned to you as Cindy and I wait for our kids to return, we're not just sitting on the couch twiddling our thumbs, looking at the driveway, can't wait for them to pull in. No. There's work that's being done as we are waiting. There's work in the kitchen that's being done. There's work in the yard that's being done. The laundry is being done. On and on. We are busy as we are waiting for their return. And so it is too. As we wait for the return of Jesus, we are to be expectant, but we are to be busy with service unto Him. There's witnessing that needs to be done before He returns. There's acts of love and acts of service that need to be done. There is encouragement that needs to be given. There is comfort that needs to be bestowed on people. There is mercy that needs to be shown. The truth needs to be taught. We are busy until He returns. Is that true for you? Is that descriptive of how you are? Are you busy? 
as you wait expectantly for Him. I'm not talking about just the busyness of life. I'm talking about are you busy for Him as you wait expectantly for His return. Let me read to you from Luke chapter 12, verses 42 through 44. And the Lord said... Who then is the faithful and sensible steward whom his master will put in charge of his servants to give them their rations at the proper time? Blessed is that slave whom his master finds so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you that he will put him in charge of all his possessions. Note from the text. The master will be looking for the slave who is busy doing what he is supposed to do. That slave will be rewarded. Now, if you read on in the text, if the master finds a slave who is not busy serving him, that slave will be judged. We are his slaves. We are his servants We are to be doing our master's will. We have been given gifts. We have been given talents. We are to use those gifts and talents to his glory and to his honor. 1 Peter 4.10 says, Each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. He's looking for you and for me to be faithful in our service. I like what Mark Moore said in his commentary on this point. He said, our love for Jesus is is not shown primarily in getting ready for his coming, but in staying ready for his coming. Let that sink into your mind. Our love for Jesus is not primarily shown in our getting ready for his coming, but in our staying ready ready for his coming our staying ready involves our service to him we are to be busy doing for him we are to be doing the work of the kingdom i want you to see the twist though when he comes back this this is something that really caught my eye this week luke chapter 12 verse 37 it says blessed are those slaves whom the master will find on the alert when he comes Truly I say to you that he will gird himself to serve. Who's girding himself to serve? Jesus is. We have Jesus coming back and we have Jesus girding himself. He's taking up his robe and putting it into his belt because he's going to serve. Who's he going to serve? Look at this verse. I say to you that he will gird himself to serve and have them recline at the table and will come up and wait on them. When Jesus comes back, the Lord of the universe is going to take the time to serve his slaves. What an ironic twist. And I want to be a part of that. I want to be a part of that marriage supper at at that, that table where the Lamb girds up his loins, and he serves his slaves. He takes care of us because we have been busy serving him, and he's going to turn around and he's going to serve us. Wow. I challenge you. 
If you are a believer in Jesus, then your job is to be busy serving Him until He comes back. Your job is not to sit and be idle. Your job is to serve Him every day. And by doing so, you are not earning your salvation. Rather, you are proving your salvation. And you are so thankful for what He has done for you that you want to give back to Him. There's a third teaching of Jesus in this text. Be sure of the judgment that will come. Now, we've already seen in verse 44 that the ones who are found faithful serving Him will be rewarded. Let me read to you the flip side of that, verses 45 through 48. But if that slave says in his heart, my master will be a long time in coming and begins to beat the slaves, both men and women, and to eat and drink and get drunk, the master of that slave will come on a day when he does not expect him and in an hour that he does not know and will cut him in pieces and assign him a place with the unbelievers. And that slave who knew his master's will and did not get ready or act in accord with his will will receive many lashes, but the one who did not know it and committed deeds worthy of a flogging will receive but few. For every from everyone who has been given much, much will be required, and to whom they entrusted much of him they will ask all the more. The bottom line is simply this be sure of the judgment to come. He's going to do what he's told us that he will do. There will be a separation of the sheep from the goats. There will be a net where the, the, the good fish will be plucked out of that net and the bad fish will be thrown away. There will be a separation of the wheat from the chaff. However it is you want to say it, Jesus said it in several different ways. The message is the same. There will be a day of judgment. Rewards will be handed out to those who have been faithful and consequences will be given out to those who have not been faithful. In fact, you could even get into a whole new discussion about levels of rewards and levels of of punishments, I think that can be substantiated very well in this passage of Scripture. The thing I would point out to you is this. You and I have been given much. Would you agree with me on that? We have been given much. We live in the United States of America where on every street corner practically there is a church and we have heard the message over and over again and many of us have in our homes multiple copies of God's Word. We have been given much. The question is, are we giving much back to Him? Are we obeying Him? Are we serving Him? You see, our motivation is twofold to serve Him. One, He has given much to us. He's given us His whole life, His blood, His body. He's allowed us to live in this land where the message is, is right there for us. We have been given much. Are we giving back to Him? We should be. And the second reason for our service to Him, the motivation is there, there's going to be a day of judgment. 
There's going to be a day of accountability where we stand before him and give an account for our life. That should motivate us to be faithful to him and to serve him with our whole heart. Let's pray together. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for your great grace. There's no one who could stand before you and in their own righteousness. Thank you for the righteousness of Jesus. But Lord, that righteousness ought to cause us to want to be faithful to you, serve you. The sacrifice that you have made, Lord, prompts us to serve you. So help us to be ready. I pray, Lord, if there's one person here today outside of your your family, that they would be moved with urgency, that the truth would move them like a sword into their heart to want to be saved. So we give this time to you, Father. We pray this in Jesus' name.